0: CHAPTER 1 The sea foam jumped in the air at the bow of the boat. It was scattered by the wind like the sea was torn by the bow of the wooden ship. A woman stood at attention. More steadfast than the wooden bear head that bit at the cresting waves, she looked on ahead. Her shoulders square under a dark green cloak, the hood over her head. A great red mane framed a pale face and wolf-like eyes. The chilling sea spray beaded on her face. Her gaze forward searching. Her emerald blue eyes hard on the fog as the wind swirled it around the boat. Monstrous figures moved behind the veil of mists, like fish moving under the water. She was in every way the strong warrior her clan was known to produce. Her father was the bear king and it would be a grave mistake to believe she, even as the cub she was, would not be just as fierce. The woman knew, there, in the fog, lurking like eels in the LOCs were laughing villains. Murderous armies, destroyers of families, villages. They slipped through the water with ease and silence like the great worms they were. This thought made her curl her top lip slightly like a wild animal. She clenched her teeth and gripped the shield she held upright beside her. The shield bore the same mark as the rest of the shields on the ship, a great black bear. Then listening to the groaning of the wood on the water she dropped her shoulders and gave out a sigh. Unheard even to her own ears as the winds whipped up a howl. Someone was watching her and the woman turned from a warrior ready for battle to a calm commander once again. Realizing she was tense in anger she forced her muscles to relax. One of her brothers, who had his own red mane, stepped out of the thick fog behind her. He was watching her for some time, and she was aware of it. Arms crossed he leaned his hip on the side of the ship. A dimple marked the side of his face as he gave her a half-smile she could feel on her skin, though her eyes stayed forward. They could scarcely see the masts in the suffocating fog, and it seemed like they were the only ones on this ship but the truth was the sailors were catching some sleep in unrecognisable lumps under thick fur scattering here and there. So the silence was betrayed by many listening ears. The red-haired woman leaned her head to one side and looked to her brother's direction slightly as if saying, I know you're there, what is it? All three of her triplet brothers had glinting eyes that gave away their intelligence, and without a doubt Harris knew what she was thinking going to defeat them all by myself. Harris watched his sister unmoved to his words. He pushed off the wooden ship, and arms still crossed he stepped beside her, hands grabbing the rail of the boat and looking up at the calm pillar of a woman. Like a crow would with one eye he softly cored up at her. Be careful what you wish for that got a reaction. Harris knew just what to say to push her to a sharp word in retaliation. Their mother would say that all the time. She caved, she turned and looked into his eyes, breaking her concentration with the sea. It was enough to chill Harris to the bone, yet he smiled up at her. Harris lacing his fingers like a man who played a good chess game, waited. And he was rewarded, her voice was not that of a warrior, for it was not harsh, it was always lyrical or full of emotion. Today it played to him like a lullaby. I hardly wish for anything anymore brother, you know that. She looked back at the waves distantly but not defeated. How can anyone be thinking about wishing these days? Harris heard her and bobbed his head in non-confidential agreement. I, I guess you're right princess. He knew she hated that tittle, and his eyes spied another twin boat gliding beside them in the fog. Half of the best and bravest of Dunbroch were heading north, passing the lakes to the lands of Clan Dingwall, where there would be a clan meeting. From there they would go north still to Clan MacGuffin. Though I don't have any doubt that a certain black-haired laddie will be a wishing to see you, sooner than later. He could not contain his laughter and giggled at his own joke. The princess gave him an unamused amused look. Many years ago it seemed, the princess, then sixteen years of age, hosted three clans in order for a champion to bid for her hand. Unfortunately for the suitors she was her own champion, and not only secured her freedom from marriage but her title of warrior. No doubt the bards would have plenty to sing about his sister, and a pang of jealousy sounded in his chest, but was silenced by his love for her. That was eight years ago, Harris was only seven then but he remembered. He was the sharpest one out of the lot of triplets. Thinking about that day of the tournament he looked upon the waves dreamily. The siblings stood in silence watching over the front of the ship. The red-haired warrior beside him was twenty-four years of age now and she turned away any and every relationship since that day. Harris believed she would never tie a knot with a man. Not because she was opposed to love. No, he thought, there just is not any man that can hold unto her." He was very right as Harris always was. Even at 15, he was wise beyond his years. Soon they would be in the Northlands, soon there would be a battle. But not today, today his sister stood at the helm of their ship as if it would carry them faster on their way. Soon he smiled, looking at her. They would be shoulder to shoulder, Harris, Hubert. Hamish, and his sister, but what would protect them then? The threat of the northern invaders was on all of their minds. He sighed. What do ye think mum is doing? You're going to put her in an early grave, making her worry the way you did, coming along on the ships. Harris, Merida turned to her brother. Since you were small enough to swim in a soup pot I have been looking after ye and the two devils you call your brothers. If you think I would let my brothers and the go. She took his shoulder in her hand, she was serious. Merida did not have to say any more, once his sister made up her mind you would seldom change it. We all know I have every right to be here, mum can take care of Dunbrock. I would only be a pace in a hole in the floor if I stayed, besides you we devils are the ones who will put her in that grave, I have no doubt come on let's go find a meat pie for your gob. She cracked a half smile and pushed her brother in front of her though he outgrew her by almost a foot. The years made Merida's brothers grow tall as pines, though still, they all were shadowed by the bear king. It was a few hours before noon even though the weather made telling the time misleading. Men stirred from the boat and the sails filled, The fog lifted slightly, and as Merida looked around her she saw the many ships that a few hours ago were hidden by the grip of fog. For the first time in many years they moved to defend their lands, their headed ships sailing north. One hundred and fifty yards out on another ship, a red-headed beardless man gave a sly smile and gave a single wave over to her own ship. The triplets were broken up among the ships, as no ship, but mostly the crew could bear them all together or all at once. Marida dusted off her hands covered in pastry crumbs on her cloak and held her hood up over her head against wind's tugging fingers. Her father was on one of those ships, and he, like her mother, had no idea she was boarded. The sky darkened. Harris stood up, Marida looked into the darkened sky, the fog making it very difficult to see even the clouds above them. It was noon, something was wrong, very wrong. The men on the ships murmured and grew pale. Superstition ran ramped through the men. They wondered if the blue men in the waters had come to drown them. Merida climbed the mainmast as the men on the ship stood in oar, there was a glow on the shore bright enough to shine through the fog. Suddenly a stink filled the winds just as Merida saw that it in fact was not a dragon sleeping on the shore, as the men whimpered about, it was a fire, more specifically, what was left of a village. Lumps of wood floated in the calm waters, the distant crackly of a great fire was more clear now. As the wind, like the men on the ships, had held its breath, it was a scary silence. Smoke was darkening the sky, and looking down, Harris grabbed at some of the debris from the waters, burned pieces of ships. Harris held it up silently to his sister as she stood on a rope ladder hanging above him about twenty feet in the air, her free hand gripping her bow, her heart sounding in her ears like war drums. Merida looked at him wide-eyed. Then at the shore. The fog lifted. The pieces of broken boats charred by fire gently bumped their ship's hulls, making a dull knocking sound. All eyes viewed the pillars of fire. All the men were silent. It might as well have been a dragon, thought Merida. To castle Dingwall. It was a knife in the silence that sprang the men to life, as they scrambled to fill the sails in the low wind repeating what the bear king commanded. They sailed on with a new purpose. The Norse men had beat them, they were here in the Dingwall lands. Chapter 2 the boats were docking, the rest of the trip went on as grim as a funeral procession. It was not a casket they carried but sad news from the south. The town of Dingwall was crowded and slightly chaotic, the people here mostly had fair hair, and Marida and her clansmen could be picked out easily with their brightly coloured locks. There was urgency all around them. Everything was carted off the ship to be replaced or restocked, or fixed. They had made it to the castle Dingwall to speak with the reigning lord to strike a united front against the northern invaders. But what made things difficult is that after the failed courting of Lady Dunbroke the lords drew further apart. Even Merida could feel it. It was the price of her freedom, as happy as it made her, it also caused her great guilt. The village burning in the morning fog struck her as an arrow to her chest. That was her fault. She was here because the falling out of the lords was her doing. And the falling out of the lords made them all weak. Freedom came with a hefty cost. It caused a wound in the once peaceful lands around Dunbroch, she was determined to see this clan meeting through, and heal some of the hurt she caused. Her father forbade her from coming but she was a woman now, twenty-four years had made her bold and full of honour as any clansman. If there was a rift because of her then she was going to fix it. Hubert stepped forward, his head bobbing above the crowd as the Dingwall clan was not known to be a very tall people. Harris. Hubert squeezed his way to his brother and sister. There is making his way to eat the castle. Their older sister gathered her skirts in one fist the other clenched in a ball. She jumped from the boat to the docks and through the thick crowd. Oh, oh, oh. What do we have here? Hubert was the second family member to know of her whereabouts, and he smiled with all the teeth in his head. Dad is going to have a fit. He's going to be a raggin when he sees Yar. His sister was having none of it. She blew past him, her hood up and her bow hanging over her shoulder and across her back like a strap of a bag women would carry. But she was no woman the likes of Clan Dingwall had ever seen, and they made a path for her. Half of them were amused to see a fair lady with a bow on her back and the other horrified at her boldness. Hamish, the third and last of the triplets, scuttled through the crowd behind his brothers and looking onward at their sister he knew what was going on. Is that? Hamish said a bit out of breath from swimming though a sea of people. Oh, I Hubert and Harris nodded and said together, watching Marieder and the chaos of the crowd splitting in front of her. Just like their mum, she did not need a crown to present herself as important, and everyone saw that. Soon everyone would know she was here and not at home where she ought to be. And do not tell me she's going, Hamish said, pointing meekly to the castle where their father was making his way before them. Oh, I, she is. The two oldest said in unison, and the three of them struck out immediately weaving through the crowd as fast as they could, none of them wanting to miss what the Bear King would say. Lord Rostingwall was a red ball of pent-up rage, he looked dead into the eyes of the giant monster of a man before him. Fergus Dunbroke was tower, his clothes almost completely covered by a sea of black fur. Merida made her way through the open doors of the Great Hall. Her dad was there in the hide of Mordu, the bear skin covered his massive shoulders, the skin itself was dull, and if the hide was much smaller it would not have been fit to be worn by the aging king. But the sheer mass of the bear was enough to strike fear into any townspeople. It trailed behind the king claws still attached, and leaving drag marks behind him. Lord Dingwall was not afraid and he looked like a mangy animal. His fair hair stood on end atop his head and his arms were covered in a thick fair fur. His eyes wildly popping out of his head, he looked like an old hunting dog trying to tree a bear. That bear being her father. We Lord Rabbi Dingwall calmly stood beside his father and looked you amused, or unaware of the violent yelling match carrying on a few feet beside him. But what? Rabbi did notice was a figure at the end of the room dressed in dark green and a long veil of red red hair Beside Rabbi Dingwall his father was so wounded he could have been breathing fire How my clansmen will niece stand be and BN shoulder t shoulder with the small stupid jobbies that that startly clan I am first to share a border with dash The people massed in the great hall whipped their attention to the far corner of the room there the northerly Scotsmen stood in a group of blue tattoos shining like distant lightning, not unlike the colour of their eyes. They roared in anger at the bold taunts from Clan Dingwall. They brandished swords and axes in the air but they were greatly outnumbered in the Dingwall castle and threw their shields up surrounding the sixty-something men in a semicircle, their backs against the wall. Clan Macintosh was obviously there to put their best forward in order to have some unity but Lord Dingwall was seeing red. This was going to be a mass slaughter if the discussion continued the way it was. I will knee stand for it. You HRV been away too long Kingdom broke after the dafty bit for your daughter's hand making us all look like dance gunners. Marida felt her steps grow heavy at the loud words being yelled about her. A less grown-up part of her made her find it hard to keep her pace as she strode into the hall. She was ready to face the consequences of her actions and defend her freedom but more importantly she would show them. They need not my hand to hold each other up in battle, more now than ever, now when they need unity. Yes she made the clan's men look like fools even though the young lords agreed with her. The lords themselves had grown over the years a different opinion as without the stability of a marriage between the clans there grew a rivalry between Dingwall, MacGuffin and Macintosh. Land disputes and the occasional fighting amongst themselves made the three clans verge on internal war. They did not trust each other in the least. The stress of walking on a blade's edge showed on Lord Dingwall's face. King Fergus grew bright red and before he could defend his daughter she piped up for him. Fergus Dunbroke had his hand on the hilt of his sword and the Lord Dingwall dared him to do it, unsheathe it. Lord Dingwall. Merida's voice rang out from the middle of the gathering in front of the two leaders. Merida drew back her hood. For as much as she could not see it in herself, The people around her could not help notice the similarities she had to her mother the queen. They all knew her, but most importantly they knew she was a surprise guest. Her triplet devils could not contain their smiles as they appeared in a huff at the open castle doors. Good, they had not missed a thing. Her hair bounced finally free of the green hood and fell thankfully below her elbows. All eyes transfixed on her but she looked in control talking calmly over the lump in her throat. Clan Macintosh dropped their swords and the shields dipped down as the men gawked at the red-headed woman commanding the crowd. Lord Macintosh gritted his teeth, what was she up to? Merida took her bow from her shoulder and with the other hand undid her cloak, Striding up to the two leaders she climbed the steps and without breaking eye contact she passed the cloak to a man standing by the wayside, but kept her bow in her fist. It was her calm, the smooth wood under her fingers made her feel in control. She could tell her father was still in shock but after it wore off it would only go two ways, anger, or she could not think that way. My lord, she bowed her head to the stout man with his mouth agape. Young Lord Dingwall. She exchanged a small head bow to the ghostly lad eyeing her with a glazed look. Coming to the foot of the massive chairs at the top of the stairs she turned to the crowd, she acknowledged the small band of Clan Macintosh in the corner, and raised her bow to them in salute. Clan Macintosh. The small group cheered uneasily, raising weapons and striking shields. And hospital warriors of Clan Dingwall. A roar of cheering, the triplets yelped over the sound of many clansmen shaking the rafters with their voices. I got them now, she thought, shaking slightly. Don't let this momentum go. My king, may I? Her dad looked grim down upon her. She looked away from him, the bear king was terrifying when he was not smiling. Being on the brink of war will take the joy from your heart. She took the silence from her father as her chance. Don't goose this up. My lords, we all have suffered greatly. Clan Dingwall your people are mighty, a small cheer from the crowd, but as mighty as we are we cannot be squabbling anymore. Fighting amongst ourselves only weakens us. Clan Macintosh you withstood the first blows from the Norsemen, not only did you draw them back but. They feared you. The sixty men cried out with the sound of two hundred voices. They were a mighty and proud clan, there was no doubt. The northern sea they lived by made them bold and fearless. Our leaders are no fools, they are strong as the oaks. But a large oak cannot stand without deep roots. Lord Mackintosh, Lord Dingwall I may not give you my hand for your sons, for I can anya give it freely, but I can give you my word, my bow and my vow to your clans. I will be your roots and we will together hold each other up as a tall oak, and no northerner may hew us dune. There was silence, Marita searched the crowd. She was shaking but her face resembled a lake not moved by the winds. Her eyes rested upon her brothers not daring to move and look at her king. They smiled, she could not help it. A small smile crossed her lips and the boys clapped their hands and whistled, but it lasted only a second because they were drowned out by a storm of happy voices. Hamish, Harris and Hubert started through the crowd towards their sister. The group of Macintosh disbanded and joined the masses in celebration. Merida let her smile grow a bit and for the first time she looked at her king in his great soft eyes. Her father looked on solemnly. No he was not angry anymore he was, was at sadness. She could not make out the emotion in his eyes when he looked at her yet he was distant. Merida took up a flask from a man standing by the throne and placed it in her dad's hands. Go on the... She nudged him to make a toast and... Gently he took the flask from her, placing a giant hand upon her shoulder he raised it above his head. A.I.E. We are all drawn together like many streams becoming a LOC. Let us celebrate as brothers and drink deeply. Sing loudly and eat heartily tonight. The sea of people rejoiced. The mood took a turn for the better, no, it was the best possible outcome. Unity, they would need it. King Fergus turned to Lord Dingwall and the boys took up cups of ale as casts were being opened and rolled up from the cellars. Lord Mackintosh approached Lord Dingwall, he stood next to him and stared the scowling man down. On the sacred oak ross. Lord Mackintosh held out his hand and arm towards the man that resembled an old cranky badger, and it was taken by Lord Dingwall. Aye they held each other's forearms in a tight grip. No it was not a completely joyous time but the festering wound of mistrust was showing signs of healing, but only barely. So Somar, wee bonnie daughter, ye are here. Was it a barrel you hid inside or was one of your brothers in on this? The Bear King sat in Lord Dingwall's great seat, almost dwarfing the large chair under him. Know that I was in a rolled up mast. She kissed his forehead, her hand over his as he looked on in front of him sipping his ale. He nodded. He could not tell if she was joking or not, but it didn't matter how she snuck on the ship. If she wanted to do something she was going to find a way to do it. The triplets laughed and danced a jig on a table in the midst of the party together, music was paying now. Surely this party would go until the wee hours. Her dad gripped his leg that ended in a large wooden peg larger than the trunk of most trees he massaged his knee with one hand. Ye mum is go any have words with you when we get back. The bear king sighed. I don't think you will listen if I ask you to go home. Merida held her breath. You will sail on my ship, daughter, unto Castle MacGuffin. The king looked up at his daughter, his rough face portrayed no emotion but his eyes told her all she needed to know. He was not happy she was here but he would rather her safe with him than to fight her the whole way. The. She started. Merida I can only do my best to protect Yar. The village we saw tease only the beginning, what you did, I it was something Marida. but oak trees can burn to the ground no matter how big they grow, her father was disheartened after all these years of squabbling and now the biggest threat was at their doorstep. Though I love you, nothing can go wrong when we stay together. He nodded and turned back away from her. A part of him believed his daughter's words. We Lord Rabbi Dingwall observed all of this in silence. He stood behind his father at his rightful place beside the throne. This was the first time he had seen Marida in ages, and she had grown, not much taller but into a shield maiden. But he was not the only man to dwell on the sight of her flames for hair and ice for eyes. Rabbi looked down to a black-haired picked now larger than he remembered him. Young Lord Macintosh. He watched Merida like a hunter watching a deer just out of his shot range. Robbie seldom felt, well, much really. But he felt something then for the way young Macintosh looked at their princess. Robbie Dingwall twitched his nose as. If he had an itch and turned his eyes to the castle wall where he remained looking unmoved for the rest of the evening. Merida strode on in the moonlight, Cheering people's voices was carried by the rustling wind in the trees. Walking out in the forest always caused her to feel calm. Angus her Clydesdale was at home but moonlit runs in the woods made her relax. She muddled over the thought of picking a stallion from the Dingwall stables. The lands from the north were fabled to be filled with fabulous creatures older than all of magic, when there was only land and sea. A lonely sound like a reed flute played behind her. She knew that sound from long ago. And it called to her. I will nay follow you. She was shaking now, and her shout came as a surprise to herself and to the night animals of the woods. The last time she heard that noise she almost lost her brothers and mother forever. It terrified her and she knew it was just behind her. The forest was quiet, and Marita held her breath. Maybe she had dreamed it and she was being silly. It had been so long ago, and she was so far from home it could not be A. The musicianless flute played again, and she sank to her knees, her hands fell on grass cold with night dew. No, it could not be real. Marita lifted her long red hair out of her way as she looked behind her over her shoulder. There, a blue orb of cold flame fluttered like a butterfly about twenty yards away from her. A wisp. And for the first time in a long time she let a tear roll down her cheek as she looked back in fear. Fate called her once again. Merida got up on shaking legs, turned and started for the castle, for her bed on the ship, she did not mean to run, but she did and she did not look back. Chapter 3 The ships were heavy with food and weapons. The Norsemen were sea wolves, they would attack without warning, take what they wanted leaving without a trace. They had to be prepared on their way to Castle MacGuffin. With them sailed Lord Dingwall and his eldest son, clad in a light green on a dark green tartan. The Dingwalls were aboard the king's ship with Hamish and the princess. In their own boats were the northerly Scots of the Macintosh clan, Sailing beside them a harp painted on their sails with men clad in red tartans running about the ships. The fleet would make an upside-down N shape out to the sea then down another set of lakes going first north. Almost to Castle McIntosh then south-west down the canals to the last castle. The men aboard did not squabble and fight, just yet anyway, but they stayed in their groups. There was a painful rift, and Marita had no idea how to sew it back together. She remembered the tapestry her mother had wove and she had cut down. The threads on that tapestry were like the men manning these ships. They frayed away from each other. Merida shook her head, her hands clasped behind her back. She just needed the right needle and thread, that was all. But where to find it? She thought back. Maybe I should have taken a grum, then she bunched up her nose at the idea like it had a foul smell. No, I cannot picture me life with any of those men. Her eyes lifted and she looked out on the water at the other she caught a glimpse of young Mackintosh, and it disheartened her when he waved. He was over one hundred yards away, but she could tell he winked her way. This made Merida tighten her smile to one side of her face trying to hide her displeasure. For the very time she was a wee bonnie lassie she was as wild as a fairy, jumping in the clover, running through glens. She became more and more wild as the years went by. But then it was harmless, now she felt distant from her people. The shield maidens in her clan, even they settled down so to speak. She was like a selkie, her mother had said. A mermaid of the waters wild, free to swim as she pleased. Just like A. Selkie, she knew that given the chance of freedom, she would take it, every time. How can a man take her as his bride if she was always down in the heather, in the woods, exploring, and shooting her arrows? Oh, yes, she could cook, so, and she loved the wee babies. But she was not fit for any man, as they would easily become frustrated with her uncontrollable nature. No, it was best this way. Being the best archer in her clan was all she knew. And it was accepted and admired by all around her. It was the only thing that she felt she could do right. Hamish was with Merida on the king's ship. Harris, his older brother by five minutes, loved the idea of their sister being aboard. But he could see the pain it caused his father. Yes, she was a well enough warrior, but lost the princess in battle. It was a great risk that she was here. The cost of losing her was too great, and now that she forced their hands to take her on this voyage, the chance they may lose the hire to Castle Dunbroch was a real one. Merida looked over at her serious brother sharpening a spearhead with a river stone. His eyebrows knit in concentration over his work. The triplets were very much identical yes, but their personalities were oceans apart. Marida walked over to Hamish taking the stone from his hand he scowled. Then she opened a hand to him, and rolling his eyes at her he handed over the spear. She set to work sharpening the metal, she was much better at it than he was. So you going to tell me why why are looking like you got jaggy nettles in your knickers or are you going to go around dulling all the blades on this ship, she gave him a little chuckle. Fine one to talk Borhate. You shouldn't have come Hamish was blunt. He did not hide his feelings. Oh, I, then what should I have done? Stayed at home with mum, wire too much for the crew to worry about. He paused, not looking at his sister, but picking up a piece of rope and beginning to wind it over his elbow, making a neat coil. He was right, the crew was worried about how to protect their future queen. Fine then, Merida put down the stone and spear and stepped up on the barrel Hamish was using for a seat. She grabbed at a rope that was drawn between the side of the ship and a mast, stepping out onto the railing of the ship. They were out at sea travelling east going into another lake system but the land was far away and it was a cool fall day. Hamish jumped out of his seat so fast the barrel was knocked over. Guess I'll swim home then. Merida took a committed step off of the railing, Hamish fumbled with the ropes in his hands and grabbed her skirt hem in a frantic leap. Then nothing, no slash, no yelp from other crewmen. Hamish looked up wild-eyed at his sister giggling down at him, she held onto another rope just above her head, feet dangling over the edge of this ship. The crew held at Hamish being tricked, King Fergus laughed heartily at his son. Hamish realized he held her skirts in the ball of his fists. Letting out a cry of anger. He jumped up and grabbed his sister under his arm tugging her away from the ropes. Picking her up with both hands he folded her and stuck her bottom in an half-empty barrel of apples. She was stuck but still laughing. Hamish. Get back here I'm stuck. She managed to say between laughs but Hamish was not coming back, and he made his way to the other side of the ship. The bear king looked on with a half-smile. Marida was clever, but only if she used it for the good of her people. King Fergus turned his attention to the skin maps laying on a bench seat, and went back to looking over them. Marida held both hands on the lip of the barrel, but her skirts made it hard to pull herself. Dingwall came over and lifted her up slightly from under her shoulders. It was just enough to get her free of the barrel. Marida straightened out her blue skirts, she did not like help, and nodded a thanks to Weedingwall. Dingwall. Going for a bit of a swim. Marida looked up in disbelief. The fair-haired Celt seldom spoke a word. His eyes were silver like his hair and he looked ghostly, almost. As if he had survived being pulled from Icy was years since she had seen him and maybe things had changed. She liked to scare her brothers as much as they liked to play tricks on her. But that was a hard thing to explain. Do you have brothers we? Rabbi. Rabbi Dingwall looked bored with her, clearly only his dad called him We Dingwall. But this was the first real conversation she had with me. She remembers how he left her kingdom grasping her hand and pecking at it like a hen would peck at a barnyard for grain. The memory was not one that made her a handsome enough man. He must have been twenty-two or so now just slightly younger but unlike her brother he was the same size as she was. And I have one other brother, He's back at home, the rest are my six darling older sisters. The Dingwall clan was known for the beauty of the young daughters of their lord. By some miracle, as their father looked like a albino hedgehog, they grew lovely and tall with beautiful silver hair, most of them happily married now. Aye, yes, that's nice to hear, Rabbi. she nodded her head. He had a clutch of older sisters all elf-like, like the fairy people that lived on the island of Skye. She did not like the idea of being compared to an elegant group of fairy women and she began to look for a way out of the conversation. Rabbi Dingwall gently picked an apple from the barrel she had been stuck in and ate it thoughtfully. They grew out of their wild phase. Merida was a woman, and women don't throw apples at other lords of the court. But she thought about it. I grew into my wild phase quite nicely, I find it suits me just fine, and on that note I hope enjoy the rest of the trip. That was her way of saying you struck a wrong chord with me please do not talk to me again. She had learned to bite her lip from her mother and how to politely tell someone to shove-off. T's more suited for a quinny bear or a fox in the furriest don't you think? Marita stopped in her tracks and slowly turned around. Was that a nod to her turning her mother into a bear? But before she could open her mouth, Hamish had made his way back to that side of the ship after a brief cool down. He was back to his normal, serious self. One thing was true he was very protective of his family. Hamish drew in a big snort through his nose, the sea air had chorused for a few runny noses. He coughed a bit, seeking attention from the two, he was only fifteen, but he was more than a foot over wee Rabby Dingwall. Wee Robert, Good to see you, Hamish. Mirrored Rabbi's unamused face back at the young lord. Ducking for apples, are we? If you're interested in a wee game, I can hold your ankles over the side of the ship. And Hamish stepped forward, but the Dingwall did not retreat. It's all right, Harris. Rabbi knew the triplets were confused, and anybody could see it was Hamish in front of him. I'm done playing with fire for today. He shot an eyebrow raised at Merida and gave a smug grin. Robbie turned to take his leave. You should me have come Hamish repeated watching the ghostly man confidently make his way to the back of the ship where Lord Dingwall and King Fergus were talking. Lord Dingwall clasped his son on his shoulder and gave him a laugh. He had shown his dad the way he got under Merida's skin and it was taken as a small victory for the Dingwall clan. Hamish. Marita said quietly. He turned to his sister. I just wanted to protect Yar. We all do, even though Dash. Hamish I saw a wisp. Ark. Did Yar tell anyone? Where was it? Oh I do not want to be a bairn bear again. He held her forearms pleading. That meat pie I just ate, tell me truthfully, am I gonna be a bear? Get off me you're dafty. She shook her brother's grip off her arms and looked into her pleading brother's eyes. Nay. If you think for one moment I would have any dealings with fate-changing witchcraft you can just haul me over the side of the ship and be done with me. Ark. What do you think it means? He clasped his hands together. He was shaking. She pushed her hair away from her face and sat down hard on a cold rope, her brother kneeling onto the floor in front of her. Hamish I don't know. All I can tell you is the wisps bring you to your fate. I'm supposed to be here. A and I saw it, but I didn't follow it, I don't want anything to do with fate, she looked up at Hamish pleading for him to be quiet. No turning people into furry animals, I he pleaded back. Marida looked over her brother's large shoulders. Rabbi's silver eyes met hers, she shuddered. This was not the place to talk about this. Hamish, I promise, just keep me close, no more of this wishing I was back at home, I can't fight you and the clansmen at the same time. I Hamish gained control over himself, no more fighting, for all of us, there will be a time for that. I wanted to tell you, the fates are here, I'm meant to be here, so we are going to have to get over that. Hamish nodded solemnly. Aye, you're ringing clear, just tell me the next time you see em, no running off. Merida looked back at Weeding Wall, he was not looking over at them any longer but he knew more than he let on. Merida knew that. Hamish had gained his old seriousness back after a day or so. The boats they travelled on were the fastest in the kingdom, and the best sailors had been aboard making the wooden fish shapes fly over the water. There were hardly any more raids by the Norsemen, but they noticed something as they drew closer to Castle Maguffin. The people had left the shore towns deserted. They had receded to the most westerly and southerly parts of Lord Maguffin's lands. The castle itself was atop of a cliff-like island sitting to one side of a long lake. The lake itself was surrounded by a large hill range that hid the sun long before it set on Scotland. It was a shadowy place in the mornings and the evenings. The hills were a thick green and as they made a turn in the boats they saw the castle could be easily accessed but a long sandy path from the mainland. It drew higher and higher to the castle. The clan was known to produce large warriors, the castle looked large enough to house them comfortably as well as fit their own clansmen. They had been travelling for a week or so and the siblings of Clan Dunbroke got off their boats groaning and thankful for land. Hamish and Merida warped off the docks. There was no one there to greet the clansmen. Something was wrong but as they looked up to the castle they could see the gates opening and letting out a soft light of many fires within. It was welcoming enough and the two started for the steep climb, Harris and Hubert catching up with long strides. Young Mackintosh saw the group and nodding to his father she smiled and stepped towards the group of redheads. The triplets wore blue tartans with red worn out stripes, they wore sparrins with matching bagger fur, Dark-coloured tunics with bits of leather armour here and there. The princess wore a thick woven blue dress with a plaid sash over her shoulder fastened with a bare brooch over her heart. Macintosh had grown not much bigger but more wiry like his dad. His black hair was an impossible tangle, and had been covered in more blue tattoos now, and his bare chest and arms were a thing of pride for a lady who had yet passed over any of his advances, and it was very obvious looking at the confidence the strode up to the siblings with. Young Lord McIntosh smiled broadly, and he made big steps as if he was following the blood trail of a wounded deer. He had thought long and hard over the red-haired lass. She did not want anything to do with him, and he loved it. With contained hatred Rabbi Dingwall looked on. He was not one to run, and he would not betray his composure. But seeing the pig trot up to the princess made him sear with anger. But only on the inside. On the outside he looked absent-minded gazing at the weather, but he did allow himself to cross his arms tightly. For as long as Merida's hand was free to be wed, the clansmen had also forbidden their sons to marry. The crown of Dunbroff was too mighty of a price. Robbie was a lot like Harris in that perspective. He was in it for the long game, he was calculating, and intelligent. The fact he rarely talked was a part of his composure and sign of self-control. He wanted the crown, yes the princess's beauty was something he could be happy with, but to finally have his own lands to reign over. His sisters had grown and moved in with other lords becoming ladies in their own lands. He felt the pit of his stomach turn thinking about he had to wait to have his own lands, but this was his chance. He let out a soft breath and looked back to Ian MacIntosh. that laddie would ruin it all on his own he reminded himself. And Rabbi was often right. Ian strode next to the siblings by then they had been talking amongst themselves, something about a thing they had seen in the woods, and bears. That was not too surprising as the clan loved tall tales about bears. Ian loved a good bear hunt but the Dunbrock were obsessed. Merida grabbed her brother Hamish and he looked about at Ian Mackintosh. Just then the four stopped talking all together and started looking thoughtfully onward to the open castle gates atop the hill. Harris smiled and nodded at young Lord Mackintosh. Merida and Hamish looked forward determined and Hubert played with a stick he was chewing was well aware, whatever they were talking about he was not allowed to eavesdrop. He shrugged it off. Hubert, I haven't seen ye in these parts for a long time. Hubert nodded, the group was silent. Well ye must know why the castle is in such a state. Ian dropped the hint in front of the siblings. Harris tightened his lips, he knew he was being baited for a reaction, but he could not stop his brother Hubert. He was too late. Oh aye and what may that be? Hubert said with small interest. Well done ye know we Picts have a very large piece of land far up north. He eyed Merida who was listening intently but looking forward. And we hear things sometimes from far in white sometimes before the king does. Ark, we caught a wee bard running for his life up from these parts. He has quite the story to tell. Had me mum all in tears it did, me poor mum, sad songs he sung and all, Ian loved knowing more than others, he loved feeling important. Why wouldn't he? He was important and he had Merida's attention, he could feel it though the wall of triplet bear cubs as they flanked her. He could tell by her stiff posture she was hanging onto his words. "Geet on with it, growled Hamish, Harris shushed him. Well same story as always, a Norseman came, burned everything to the ground and there was a great battle. The red-haired siblings marched on up the hill from the bay and made it from the well-trimmed pasture to a sandy road that led up and over a thin bridge. The bridge was being repaired but it was in use, there were burn marks everywhere. The battle could not have been more than a month past. What Ian was saying was the truth. It chilled Marida. She blamed herself. Harris saw this and noticed the strain on her face, he put a firm hand behind her back, It made it look like he was helping her on the path, but really it was more to comfort her silently. Hamish was gritting his teeth. Hubert looked over at Ian sleepily but with warning. We have a new lord in Clan MacGuffin, it nearly took Merida off her feet, she stumbled, coughed her tears back and strode onward. Her hood up and her face grim. Dismissively she replied to one of her brothers. I think I may go for a ride. That what Merida would say when she meant, leave me alone. Harris nodded and the boys peeled back from her, walking slower and beside Ian McIntosh. Smiling, the black-haired Celt took this as his cue to talk to the red-haired lass, but the three boys threw questions at him that he felt obligated to answer. Young Lord Macintosh watched as Merida disappeared in front of the boys into the walls of Clan MacGuffin, And in just a few minutes, she flew out into the approaching night into the woods on a black and white workhorse. Chapter 4 Merida galloped the horse wildly through the forest paths. Lord MacGuffin was dead, an old friend of her father. He was a man she thought was untouchable. The mortal truth of her great clansmen hurt her deeply. The rift that was created because of her decision caused the clan to lose their lord. There in the forested hills the moonlight glinted off the ice, watching her. The horse was foaming at his neck and she could feel the sweat on her reins. Something in the forest chimed to her. She closed her eyes tightly, but she could hear the music. Blue flames twinkled in the night just ahead of her. But she kept her eyes shut. Marida pushed the horse onward though she could barely hold onto the reins. She had an overwhelming feeling to run away as fast as she could. Tears welled, she was surrounded by people who directly blamed her. For what? Because she wanted to be free. What was wrong with being herself? Now the villagers were being burned out of their homes. Scattered out of their towns or shipped away over the seas in chains. What of their freedom? She made it to a ridge and the horse crow hopped to a stop, he could go no further. The winds from the valley below rushed up the side of the cliff and pushed her hood back and through painful tears she opened her eyes to its touch. There were a great many mounds around her, the ridge overlooked the lake and castle below. Didn't she promise her brother she would not run away? The urge to be alone was too strong, how could they understand? A tower can only stand so long before it crumbles. She was crumbling and needed to put herself together. On the right side of the narrow lake below her the MacGuffin Fortress stood lit up with fires. Marida was aware of herself trying to catch her breath. The light was a bit brighter out of the woods and the moon glow lit up the grassy clearing around her. The moon was rising and had caught a reflection off of the lake. A small reed flute played behind her, she looked around wildly. Gritting her teeth she jumped from the horse and taking her bow from her shoulder she notched an arrow. As she steadied herself she drew her bowstring she was shaking but even a shaking Merida was a deadly shot. Show ye you yourself. In the forest you were never alone. She was right but the eyes that watched her came from behind. Merida looked like a wild animal. Even her brothers would draw back from her. Where are you She screamed again, a small echo of her voice sounded in the valley behind her. She released her draw on the bow slowly holding the arrow in her hand and the arrow drooped harmlessly to the ground. She whimpered, stopping a sob, there before her was a small blue flame. Fade was bigger than her. But there was no hag and a magic cauldron to help give her clues. She stood firm, lost in the flame of the wisp. How was she going to fix the rift, she knew of the dishonor she caused to the lords. She could not think of her mistakes or of the past. The wisp disappeared with a moan. And she was left alone. She felt dizzy from all the crying she had been doing. How am I supposed to fix things by myself? She sat down on a stone exhausted. Her bow and her arrow held uselessly in her hands, this was not an issue she could solve with defending her rights as a free woman. She needed to be defending the freedoms of the families broken and in chains being torn away to unknown seas. She had heard the stories from the survivors. The shaken looks on their faces, they would never get their families back. She stopped herself from breaking into a weeping mess again. No. She was done with running away and crying, yes the lords were not immune to the call to turn on og. What would you do Lord MacGuffin? The red-haired woman looked around, the wisp was gone. But it had been here. It had been here for a reason, Merida told herself. Closing her eyes and giving her head a firm shake. She could do this. What was it here that the wisp wanted her to see? Spinning around she took a closer look at the mounds. It was a graveyard. Fear gripped her, not a place he wanted to visit at night. She heard stories of fairy folk stealing away human women never to be seen again. The fairy folk lived in sights. Little mounds like the ones that gathered in the clearing. But Nofi called to her tonight. The wave of flower petals in the moonlight caught her attention. She moved over to a fresh mound with a large stone at its head. It had a large cauldron etched into it. This was Lord MacGuffin's grave. The magic cauldron was his crest. She leaned down to the mound feeling unprepared she took off a ring from her finger. She lifted a small corner of sod off the mound and placed the ring underneath. I am sorry, my lord. She placed a hand on the grave. She remembered all the stories she heard from her father, the bear king about the blonde-bearded mountain that was the lord of the clan MacGuffin. Our clans have a strong bond to one another. Like brothers. She was talking to the mound softly, she wanted more than anything to comfort the spirit now passed to the other worlds. I will not take your fall lightly, the northerners will pay MacGuffin, for as long as I live I will see to that. She shivered and bowed her head. We are going to figure this out. No matter the cost, Lord MacGuffin. I will ne let your lands go without the hands of friendship ever again. The pale petals on his grave had wilted, they had been out in the elements for a week or so. How was it that a mighty warrior like Lord MacGuffin fell? Oh aye, is that so? Maridor jumped up. He said that. She grabbed her bow tightly looking around. The large stones cast many shadows. No one was here. Just then she looked forward to the line of trees ahead of her. Something moved in the woods. Whatever it was it spooked the horse and it started off down back to the castle on the path. Maybe it was the fairy folk, but Merida was not that lucky. She drew her bow, arrow notched, she turned to the forest again someone was there, men moved behind the trees. She could not tell how many there were and they moved silently. Only their backs and heads lit by the moonlight, but she could tell they were not clansmen, they wore pants. Merida threw herself behind the large stone. She was not alone, there she found the owner of the voice that answered her. Lord MacGuffin was there, that is to say the new lord, his eldest son. She thought he was dead, he sat motionless feet ahead of him facing the cliff and the castle, the boulder was between them and the men in the forest. Banshee. Young MacGuffin said in a drawn-out whisper. Marida looked on in horror. She was sure anyone that sat still with eyes open had to be dead. Did the court talk to her? She moved closer. Maguffin, are you alive? she hissed at him, taking his hand, it had to be the truth. His hand was warm. But he stared onto the castle below unmoved. She smelled something from him, ale. He was drunk. Banshee you come for me too. It was more of a statement than a question. He talked as someone exhausted from crying. His face was worn and he looked 30 years of age rather than the 24 years he actually was. He referred to her as a banshee, a fairy woman of sorrow that predicts the onslaught of war, death, plagues. Or of loss. Looking at the clansman at the foot of the grave, he was sick with loss. This man was out of his mind from grief. She had seen it after some battles or Norsemen raids. Even men were not immune to it. She heard of a man throwing himself into a lake after his wife and babe was taken from him. She looked over to the cliff and swallowed hard. Gods, is that what he was doing? MacGuffin, best be found in your wits, I cannot carry ye. Pleaded now MacGuffin we need to leave, she breathed into his ear. There was no way she could carry him. He was clad in a green tartan striped with orange. No wonder it was hard to spot him clearing his long kilt and sash-matched the moonlit grasses. She turned his face towards her. He looked through her as if she was not there, that made her go numb. He can't even see me. Come on, MacGuffin. Giving his cheek a couple of little taps, trying best to be quiet. She heard a rustling behind her, she reached for her bow. In one fluid motion she turned, a man was their braids all through his hair, he did not wear a tartan. She drew her bow as she turned around. The tall, long-bearded man saw them, and he stood there. In his hand an axe glistened in the moonlight. Not a clansman. Release. The arrow made its mark scarcely before she could finish her thought. He was Norse, they are here. The arrow shot from her bow and a soft knock sound hit her ears almost immediately. The ten yards away he had been standing made him a very easy target. The arrow hit him through the eye socket, it was a quick and silent death. To any onlookers he was just another man on the ground. Worried the body would be visible, she crawled over quickly and rolled over the man. He carried a long axe and a shield, she took both from the body, and closing her eyes she tried to pull the arrow from his skull. It did not give way at the first tug, no use. She pushed the body off the cliff just a foot away from where he lay. Then with the axe and shield she returned to the massive boulder. Young Lord MacGuffin was not a small man, and he took up almost the whole other side of the headstone at his father's grave. But yet still he looked onto the lake below unmoved by the Norseman's sudden death. The moon caught his long blonde hair and his new long straight beard just as the one his father had before him. Marida shoved the axe into his hands and the shield onto his chest. We have to go, your people cannot lose ye now, look who was talking she thought. She could hear something from behind the stone they rested their backs on. She held her breath. Someone was digging at the grave. We need to leave, Merida pleaded. Young MacGuffin slid up the stone wall slowly getting to his feet, axe in one hand, shield in the other. He looked as if he was sleepwalking, his body moved but his face and eyes saw nothing. His eyes. Marita felt fear well up inside of her as she looked to the man that stood before her. Was she certain he was alive? He was tall as his father was, he could easily be thought of as a bear on its hind legs. MacGuffin smoothly stepped out from behind the stone and looked down upon the gravedigger. The Norseman looked up and smiled at the mountain, he was rooting at the grave trying to rob it. The axe raised but what had struck Merida could not see crouched where she was. All she saw was MacGuffin's arm raise and fall. It made a sickening sound, a crunching, and a squishing. She was shaking, but got to her feet. The thought of the Norseman still alive frightened her more than what she may see, and she peered around the stone. The clansman stood over a downed Norseman, and he wedged the axe free out of the man's skull. Merida's stomach lurched. There was a shout-out by the edge of the woods. MacGuffin was a hard man to miss. They were spotted. Several men wielding axes and swords ran towards them. They lost their chance for a silent escape. Escape, that was an impossible word right now. MacGuffin gave them a dead stare, ready, no matter how numerous the enemy. Urgently she grabbed his tree-like arm in her hands. The clansmen stumbled backwards towards the cliff's edge guided by Merida's tugging. Muviar bore he I did coup. She pulled with all her strength and hauled him back. Even though she made him retreat, he raised his axe to the Norseman and gave out a roar like a great animal. The ground gave way below them and they fell. The cliff edge could not hold MacGuffin's and Merida's combined weight. It was a long drop into the frigid waters below. Merida was a strong swimmer, and an unconscious MacGuffin with his large body was surprisingly buoyant. The fear of the Norsemen subsided for it was trumped by the fear of drowning. She had spent too many days on ships and the sailors' lore got to her then in the night waters. They would talk about the blue men that lived below the waves that dragged the sailors to their deaths. The thought of cold hands reaching up to grab her skirts put some power into her kicks. After what seemed like an hour they made it to shore, she carried a flint with her wherever she went and used it now at this time. She was shaking from the adrenaline leaving her body. Soon she had a fire going, but MacGuffin looked pale. Merida was worried. The man was going to be out for a while so she thought it safe to let herself undress. Eyeing the sleeping men she began taking off her blue dress and hanging it over the fire on a branch. She wore a thick slip of white with long sleeves then turned to look at MacGuffin, he was soaked. Oh, Crivens! She walked up to him and began undoing his belt. She had seen plenty of boys, boars and bits thanks to her wee devils of brothers growing up in the castle. She kept her eyes off the massive man. Luckily the kilt was yards and yards of fabric. She put more than half of it over the fire suspended on sticks. Letting the sleeping man keep his dignity she made sure to keep a fair bit of it draped over him. It was quiet now and she made a large fire, this close to the castle it would be safe enough. She had to get the sleeping man warm. Finally after piling more wood on the fire a few minutes later his shivering stopped. He was sleeping off the ale. It was quiet now, like it had been before. Is this what she was supposed to do? Did the wisp want her to save the young lord? For surely if she had not run away that night he would have been alone with the Norsemen. Most likely they would have found him, cut down like his father had been. Guilt washed over her. She felt like she had stones in her belly looking over at the sleeping lord. It was her fault he lost his father, and however many others too. What were you thinking, Maguffin? Thinking about the lord all alone, drunk, sitting with the graves. She shook her head at him and put her hands on her hips. Merida realized she did not know his name. Trying to remember, she searched her tired memory, no use. It was too late at night and she was too cold to think. Her eyes studied the sleeping man as she stood a few feet away. It was hard not to notice the fresh scars and stitches all over his body. There was a great battle, and he fought like a crazed wolf. The way he swung his axe today. He had done that before. Many times. Still dwelling on his experience in battle Marita studied him, hoping he would wake soon. The Norsemen up on the ridge, they would have retreated for tonight. Assuring herself. The surprise loss of men they had would stop them for a few hours but not long. For now they would be kept at bay. They needed to get back. Chapter 5 Two hours drew by slowly, before the mountain moved from a shiver to a deep sleep. The lord had a long burnished gold braid, not as fair as Weeding Walls. But it was thick, the color of gold, and now it had finally started to dry. MacGuffin was a hairy lad, he had a healthy amount of chest hair as well as a beard. The man was her age, but she had not seen him in more than six years. The lord of Castle MacGuffin was visibly warmer with a steady fire beside him. Merida was drifting off. It was well past midnight now, but she kept her eyes open even as they begged to close. She kept her eyes on the young warrior. He was without fear, she muddled over his reaction to the Northmen approaching. He had grown to be the image of his father. Thinking about his father's fresh grave made her ill. More stones of guilt in her stomach moved her to draw away from him. Believing she was the cause of the mistrust between the clans was wearing on her. On top of that MacGuffin's father's death, for that she was not without blame. If the clans trusted each other more. If they were more willing to help each other. This would wouldnae have happened. With heavy eyes she bowed her head at the sleeping man. I'm sorry MacGuffin. Merida hardly used those words often for in her heart she was never sorry for her actions. That is to say until now. She strode to the shoreline. Once out on the water she looked back at the camp, he was still sound asleep. A lonely wind flute played in the night. Marida was too tired to fight fate tonight. There in between her and the camp floated a wisp. What do you want, she felt sick looking at it. It erased any doubt she wasn't supposed to be there, right then, at that exact time. That's how that sort of magic worked, right? Marita shook herself awake, there was something important that wasn't there. What am I supposed to see, whispering to herself she looked around trying to focus her eyes. Her attention was drawn to something in the moonlight. She looked ahead holding her breath. There were men across the bay, she looked back at her fire. Can they see me? Her heart was pounding again, a new surge of adrenaline kicked in. They were the Northmen, But they could not see her fire, she had made a stone wall around it that kept the light from drifting out to the water's edge. She was only a dozen or so yards away and she could barely notice it. She stood in the cool night waters of the lake and turned back to the northmen on the shore across the bay. The waters lapped her ankles but she stood as a stone watching the figures at work. They were covering something with branches and uprooted bushes. Ships They beached their ships. Merida wondered where they came from, they must have sailed at night and hid themselves. How long had they been there? I need to get back. The last of the Norsemen disappeared into the woods leaving their boats completely hidden. From what she could tell they did not spot her, she and the sleeping giant were safe for now. She had almost thrown her back out dragging the half-awake lord from the lake. As soon as she set him down past the tree line, and he fell in the moss under the trees, she knew she would not be able to move him any further until he regained some strength. They were safe tonight, Marita told herself, letting herself breath again. She had been holding her breath. Marita stumbled from exhaustion remembering how tired she was. Unnoticed to the half-dressed woman, the man by the fire woke up. Confused and hung over, he looked out onto the water before the fire. He was undressed but warm enough. There was a fairy woman standing there, her image reflected in the water white gown, red hair. He sighed, this was still a dream. Banshee. He croaked, blinking at her with sore eyes. Was this a dream of the wars yet to be fought? No, she was not washing any bloody clothes, as Banshees did by the water. She was a bit far off but his eyes began to focus. He saw a glowing blue orb in front of her, a wisp. Was she magic? A sulky then, he mumbled, a water spirit who dances nude on the beach. It would explain why he was half-naked, as he slowly began to realize, it must all be a dream. He smiled. I a dream. Sulky he called out to her dreamily raising a hand out to her. And she turned her red hair and looked as if it was on fire catching the light of the burning logs in front of him. The wisp disappeared. MacGuffin, we need to go, she drew near him a smile washed over his face. He knew this woman, was it because she was from another dream he had. He was sure of it. Blinking at her he reached up and touched her but she drew back. This did not usually happen in the dreams he had of her. He blinked, he never felt her in dreams either, and her skin had felt cold. Cold? This was not a dream, and he let out a start. She was real, and he was very exposed. Off. MacGuffin scuttled back grabbing at his tartan now glowing bright red, Woot Avy, you don't, me woman. She pounced on him with a hiss, shut you are gob, she growled as quietly as possible. She had her hands over his mouth, her eyes that of a wild animal. MacGuffin I did knee touch yar. She was red with anger. I don't even look at Yar. He knew that face. The princess. The princess was here and she had seen him naked. He was sure she did. She took her hands from his mouth and stepped back, but ready to close his mouth manually need be if he let out another yell. MacGuffin pulled the rest of his tartan from the fireside where it had been hung to dry off and started to pull the fabric over his body. He was caught between embarrassment and confusion. And how did he get here in any way? He had not a clue in his whole head what was going on and random gabber spilled from his mouth until he noticed something. The woman in front of him was only in a nightgown. Whaley 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 by the god's princess. His jaw was loose, and lips parted, and his eyes nearly fell out of his head. And she noticed what he was staring at. Mackler's beard. She crossed her arms and barked at him, Get dressed, will yer, you big dafty, he scrambled, and she grabbed at her blue dress, now finally dry from the fire, and made it for the nearest tree to change. You think that would be the last thing on wire mind after why almost became a pincushion. She kicked out the fire as soon as they were decent. Maridur had lost all of her arrows from the fall into the water but still had her bow. The two made their way back to the castle in a hurry. Maridur had not yet filled him in on what happened by the grave up on the hill. She had more important things to think about. The attack on the castle would happen in a matter of days if not by sunrise. She only had a few hours of moonlight to get to the castle and meet with the lords. There was surely no sleep to be had tonight. Dandy be those wisps, I was sure I was rid of them. The pair of warriors walked in silence, at a hurried pace. I don't remember what is going on a mackuffin said finally. They could see the castle through the trees now. I found you up by the graves. Marita spoke as sharp as a healer pulling a knife from a wound. She had no desire to recall the goings on of that night. MacGuffin blinked hard trying to come up with some memory, but he was coming up short. Why was he up at the graves? Dad, Ark, I had starting to come back to me he went there to speak to his dad. He remember he brought a large flask with him, he had done that once before. They found him a couple of days ago asleep by that stone. Is that what happened tonight? But that did not explain why the princess was there in the middle of the night, without an escort. The way this night was a-carrying-on I wouldn't be surprised if a Kelpie came from the lock and bit me on me ass, MacGuffin said to himself wearily. It was very early in the morning now. Ark, I. He nodded though he did not understand much. You were half dead in your skull when I found Yar. Marita barked back at him though she looked forward. She was still up in arms about something. What were ye doing up there? MacGuffin felt a surge of anger feeling attacked, she was the one who undressed him, and he felt vulnerable. Besides his ancestors' grave was a very personal place. I went for a ride, Marida was quiet. Har 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 he mock laughed at her. Woot a a shite, whore, in the middle of a night. Are ye daft? Oh I, I'm the daft one. You almost got captured by Northmen or worse. If I knee have a found you we would have carried what was left of you back in a cart after they cut you down like a yuletide pig. That silenced the blonde mountain. Nerf mean. Gregor MacGuffin shook his head. Merida was right, if she was telling the truth that is. If there were Norsemen he would have been no match drunk and alone with no weapons. I'll thank you. If you're so kind as to give it, Marita said under her breath. Wait a tick. She looked up in horror at him. He did not remember. You slew a man's head clean in two, you do may remember that. I thought the ways were a dream, truthfully he thought he was dreaming. MacGuffin was caught thinking about another dream of his, of a red-haired selkie. He blushed violently looking forward. What kind of dreams do you have? He felt his heart stop. Could she tell what he was thinking? He was in a lot of trouble now, dreaming about a princess in an undressed state. But she continued on, I ne'er dreamed of Huien and Mendan. I don't think anyone in their right mind does. He felt his cold sweat subsiding, it felt like treason remembering the sight of her in a white nightgown. Oh I, I guess it is knee common. Just leave it a-h that. He spat at her those last few words driving home the fact he did not want to remember that night either. That was too close of a shave than he liked. He tugged at his beard trying to get that image of his princess out of his mind and remember just what else happened that night. They were in the pasture land around the castle now, everyone was well asleep by this hour. MacGuffin, Merida called out wearily. He was cooled down now. I, princess. I didn't ever catch your name. Emma though called me Grant, he said solemnly. Another thing, um, Grant. Grant looked at her, she had also calmed down. If ye tell anyone about me and me nightie, I'll drag you down to the LOC and drown yar in the very spot I saved y'are. He could tell she did not mean those words, but he nodded yes. I would never think of it you know. They made it to the castle, the gate still open but sentries were posted. The guards, though startled to see the two, recognized them immediately. Merida sounded up to them a yell to get the guards' attention. Wake the lords and the bear king. Merida roared. MacGuffin shocked at the way she gave instructions to men at arms, as if she was used to it. Was she used to it? He had not seen her in years and years. Who was the woman that stood beside him? So far that night she claimed to have saved him from the North Men, and he thought that could not have been the truth until now. He was studying her in a new light. Her face was serious and concentrated, she had no fear in her eyes that burned with a twinkling fire. Never in his life had he heard a woman with so much command. She had important discussions with the lords to think about tonight rather than her being caught in the buff, thought the red-haired bow maiden. She rolled her fists into hard knots, war was coming to them.